The following presentation is from Mountain Park Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Mountain Park, along with additional audio and visual teachings, visit mountainpark.org. That, that is scary. I kept waiting for that thing to do what it did to Mr. Seal. Hey, it's great, great to be with you. I always enjoy so much having an opportunity to come to Mountain Park. Appreciate Pastor Allen um, inviting me in. I, I don't know if, if you, from my perspective, it's such a privilege because Allen is such a great communicator. And, and to be able to, to have him share, let me up here, it means a lot to me. I, I don't know if you know this, but in um, June, last part of June, we had this big international convention of the Church of God out of Anderson, Indiana, and uh, thousands of people joined together to worship, and they invited your pastor to speak, and, and he just knocked it out of the park. I mean, he just blew it away all the way, grand slam, out completely, and um, I was so proud of him, so proud of him, so proud of you as a church, and... Um, Alan's here, that's why I'm saying nice things, otherwise I usually make fun of him, but um, just, you have a great pastor, I just want you to, to appreciate that. So there's a man named Jonah, who uh, was a prophet, and he heard a word from the Lord, which is good for a prophet to do, and it had instruction, and it had mission, and it had a message, go to Nineveh. Speak the good news of God. Tell those, those folks to repent. And I will bring them all to me, God basically says. And this wonderful prophet, who has a book in the Bible named after him, holy man of God, great believer in God, says, no, I'm not doing that. In fact, not only am I not doing that, I'm going the exact opposite way. So instead of going to Nineveh, which was hundreds of miles east, he heads out west to Joppa, gets on a boat, and goes off the other side of the Mediterranean Sea to the ends of the earth to get away. So it'd be like if God came to you and said, I want you to go to Texas, and uh, I've, got a, I've got a message and a mission for you to do, and you not only said no, but you went to San Diego, got in a, in a boat, and headed to Honolulu. That's what we're talking about. I'm out of here, forget it, no way. Now, before you get kind of judgmental on poor Jonah, Nineveh, the location of Nineveh today is, is Mosul, Iraq. So these are the great, 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 great grandparents of ISIS and, and um, the Taliban. And, and the nut has not fallen far from the tree. I mean, these were mean, vicious people back then. And... Um, and, and, Josh, and Jonah says, you know, I, I'm not real sure I want them saved. I'm not sure I want these guys in heaven acting up like that. Forget them. It, just think if, if, if God said to you, <clears throat> well, you go by yourself to Mosul, and I'd like you just to sit with these folks and say, hey, straighten up. And if you would just become Christian, we'd be okay. Now go do that. 
I, you know, I'm with you. I'm, I'm heading to Honolulu on that one. I, I'm not sure I can, I can feel God calling me to do that, but he's on his way. Well, God gets concerned that he's not going where he wants him to go. And, and he, I love this. The Bible says he hurls a storm at him. Hurls a storm. And this ship starts getting rocked back and forth on high seas and winds and lightning and thunder. It's monsoon season on the ocean. And the ship is about to go down. The, the, there's a bunch of sailors, pagan sailors, who are rowing away, trying to get to the other side, and they can't do anything. And they're, they're not even godly men, but they're praying to gods they don't even know. And they're trying to figure out what's going on. Jonah's sleeping down in the basement. Not because he's so peaceful, I think. I think it's, he's seasick. I think he's tired of wrestling with God. I think he's exhausted. I think he's passed out. And he's just down there, and they're going, hey, let's cast some lots and figure out what the problem is. The lots keep landing on Jonah. Jonah's the problem. Jonah, get up here. Jonah, who are you? Well, I'm a Hebrew prophet. God said to go there. I'm going the opposite way. Well, you, why'd you do that for? Well, I'm I'm running. I'm running from God. Uh, But I tell you what, I see you throwing all this cargo off the ship to try to keep it from sinking. I'm the main cargo here. You throw me off, it's going to appease God. Everything's going to be good. We can't do that to you. Yeah, you have to. Save yourself. So overboard they throw him, and the sea gets calm immediately. Now, Jonah's a desert dweller, and he probably sinks like a rock. And on the way down, the Bible says God appointed a great fish. We don't know if it's a shark, probably more like a whale or a sea monster, whatever that might look like. And swallows him and for three days and three nights he is in the belly of this fish now let me just kind of address the shark in the room some of you are going that's a great story but you don't really believe that do you don and yeah i do and i'll tell you why because I can't explain it for the life of me. I don't know if God created that big of a fish. I don't know if there's one that lurks around. Probably in your pool there's one like that, so be careful. But um, I, I, don't, I don't understand it at all. All I know this is Jesus refers to it in the Gospels. And he talks about Jonah being in the bottom, in the belly of a whale for three days and three nights. So he will go three days into the, into the belly of the, of the earth and resurrect again to new life. So here's, here's where I land on it. If Jesus believes it, I'm going to believe it. I don't know anything else to do than that. But, you know, if he's wrong or if he's lying, you guys deal with him later on on that one. But I'm just staying with what he says on that one. So I don't understand how. All I wonder is, what do you do when you're in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights? Well, I want to just spend some time in the second chapter of Jonah, one that we often just kind of breeze right through, but it has a very interesting prayer by Jonah. So out of the New American Standard Bible, and it's up on the screen for you, chapter 2, verse 1 of Jonah says this, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish, and he said, I called out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I cried for help from the depths of of Sheol, which is, is the Hebrew term for 
the grave or, or even referred to sometimes as hell. It's like, it's like the edge of the grave or it's the edge of death itself. I cried out from the depth of Sheol and you heard my voice. For you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me. All your breakers and billows passed over me. And so I said, I've been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again toward your holy temple. Anytime it mentions holy temple in the Old Testament, it's, it's dealing basically with the presence of God. I, I look, I'll look again to you, God. I'll look again to the presence of God. Water encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. Seaweeds were wrapped around my head. I descended to the roots of the mountains. The earth with its bars was around me forever. I felt like I was in prison. I'm chained in these bars. But you have brought me up from life, up from the pit, O Lord my God. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. While I was fainting away, I remembered you. I prayed to you. What do you do when you're in the belly of a fish for three days? Jonah prayed. I don't know where you land on this whole thing with the fish. I would just say this. If you're in the belly of a fish for three days, that's a big deal. That's a, that's a big deal. Can you imagine being in the belly of a fish for three days? Any of you germ-phobes? You know, you're not even sure about the person seated next to you. You hope they don't touch you or touch the armrest. You've got your, your, your hand washed with you and you've been working on it ever since the offering plate came by. You know, you don't even want to touch a fish. And now you're in the belly of one, freaking out. Any of you afraid of the dark? Can you, can you imagine how dark it is? I mean, not just your, you know, you don't like it, when but when you don't know where you're at and you don't, can you imagine how, how dark it would be? In the belly of a fish. You don't know what, what's up, what's down, what's front, what's back. <laughs> any, of you, any of you claustrophobic? You don't want anybody to hold your arms down? Or if you're in a close spot or position, you just kind of get, start getting clammy and anxious and looking for a way out and breathing. Heavy. He's in the belly of a fish wrapped up in seaweed. Seaweed. Have you ever touched seaweed? You ever had that stuff wrap around your leg? You ever did? Yeah, anyway. He's immobile, probably. Anybody afraid of drowning? One of the greatest fears that humankind has is, is that of drowning. This is a desert dweller. They probably didn't have a lot of pools like we do in our desert. So you probably didn't have a lot of swimming capabilities. And he, how deep are you? And what's it like then? Yeah, 
I imagine he's got a couple of ideas in his mind. One, I got to get out of this fish. I don't know how to get out of it. I don't know where, I don't know which way to go to get out of it. I don't know front, back, top, bottom. I'm immobile. I can't move. It stinks. I can't breathe. I'm clammy. I'm sweaty. I got this seaweed all over me, but I got to get, I got to get out of this thing. But if I do get out, then what? Which way do I swim? What's up? Where's the surface? Which direction? Will I have enough breath to get up there? And if I make it to the surface, then what? I'm floating around in the middle of the Mediterranean all by myself. Best case scenario, I drown. Worst case scenario, I drown. This is called a hopeless situation. There's not, a low, there's, there's not much he can do. He can't control what's going on. <clears throat> he can't control the fish. He can't control his circumstances. He's desperate, he's in distress, and in that distress he cries out. And the Bible says God hears him. What do you do when you're in the belly of a fish? Some of, some of you have been there. Some of you to a certain extent would say, I'm there this morning. I'm, I'm overwhelmed, I'm distressed, I'm facing situations that I can't control. I feel hopeless, I feel, I feel trapped, I feel tied up and tied in. What do you do? I've shared a couple years ago, my, my big storm, it wasn't life-threatening, but it was, and still remains to be, one of the greatest battles of my life. I'll give you the Reader's Digest version, and so I want you that were here a couple years ago. But I went in with a spinal cord injury, a lot of pain, but walking into the hospital, and within the next 24 hours, I had surgery and couldn't, couldn't move from my waist down, paralyzed. And I heard the doctor whispering to my wife as she was in the room after the surgery, everything went well. But then he said this, I don't, I don't know if he'll ever walk again. And I'm laying there going, am I supposed to be hearing this? Because that doesn't, that doesn't sound real encouraging to me. You're supposed to fix it. Never walk again. I, I mean, I'm up to this point in my life, I, I can like wake up in the morning, get dressed in the phone booth, tap the S on your chest, and go conquer something. And now they're saying, I, I, don't, I don't know if you'll ever walk. And so they send me to a, a rehab center where everything is, how does he adjust to the problem he's in? How do we help him transfer from the bed to his wheelchair and from a wheelchair to a regular chair? And the big question of the day is where you want to sit for the rest of the day. And we're going to do some therapy, which means try to move your legs, try to pull your ankle up. And it's exhausting and it's painful and it's fatiguing and it's defeating and it's distressing. And people would bring me books. I love to read, but I couldn't read. I couldn't read anything. It's like I can't concentrate. I've got to get better. I've got to do something, I, but I can't do anything. And what do I do? And, and they'd bring me books like, you know, there's this little guy in Australia. He was at, actually at the convention at Allen's. He has no arms and, and, I don't know, he's a little guy. He has no arms, no legs. I don't know how big he'd be with arms and legs. He has a great testimony of how God uses him. They bring me his book about how, what an inspiration this guy is. I'm going, this is too soon, 
too soon. I'm not ready to be an inspiration. I want out of the belly of the fish. I don't want to be an inspiration to anybody. Don't give me a book on Johnny Erickson. I, I know she's an inspiration. It's too soon. It's too soon. I couldn't even read the Bible. I'd take a little verse at a time. But I tell you what I would do. I would lay there. And sometimes I'd wake up in the middle of the night. And I'd pray. And I'd talk to God. And I'd cry out to God in my distress. And I'd listen. And I'd listen some more. And I'd, I'd use up all my words. And then I just had to listen some more. And I found out that sometimes God brings you to a place where you can't do anything for him but that you can still be with him and that's tough for people like us and God I want you to somehow some way fix it one resolution for my crisis and he says yeah, before we ever get to that, let me, just, let me just be with you. And in the belly of the whale is a place that we just be with the presence of God. What do you do? Go with me for just a moment in your own mind. Put yourself in Jonah's place. In fact, if it, if it helps, just close your eyes for a minute and think about being in the, entombed in a fish. It's dark. It's utterly pitch black. You can't move. You're immobilized. You can't hardly breathe, and what you breathe is stale, foul, fishy air. You don't know what day it is. You don't know what time it is. You don't know what up from down is. You just think, I'm dying. In fact, in your heart of hearts, maybe I have died. Maybe I'm in, in Sheol. Maybe I'm Maybe I'm in the place of eternal punishment. Maybe I'll have to live like this forever. This is eternity for me. I'm in the belly of a fish. Okay, you can open your eyes. What do you do now? What do you do now? Jonah prayed. Here's the way most of us pray. Here's the way I prayed most of my life, especially as a younger Christian. Prayer was a, something I'd, I'd wake up and do every day, and it was a, a to-do list for God. That was my prayer. I'd, uh, here, here's what I'm going to do, God, and now here's what I'd like you to do. 
Please try to get most of it done by today. If not, we'll, we'll pick up on it tomorrow, but I'll add a few things. Here's your job description, God. And what I couldn't believe is he, he didn't do it. He wasn't very good. God, what in the world's wrong with you? You're, you're supposed to be faithful. What, what's your problem, God? Because you're not doing my to-do list that I've got for you. What I found is, is prayer is not just that. I mean, we can offer our requests to the Lord. I'm so thankful that he hears and often he answers. But prayer's more than that. Prayer is just this being in his, in his presence. It's drawing near to him. It's a connection. It's a relationship. And when I think about the prayer of Jonah, here's, here's what I think. There's, there's a few things. One is that, that prayer closes the distance between us and God. That there's this there's a separation, especially if you're going through a crisis if you're going through suffering and you're at, you're at something that you cannot deal with and it's, it's out of your control, more than likely you feel abandoned. More than likely you feel like you might be the only one or no one else knows what you're going through. No one else has gone through it quite like that. <clears throat> and perhaps you think God's nowhere to be found. You offer prayer after prayer after prayer after prayer and God seems silent and there's this distance. It's lonely to go through suffering and crisis. But prayer is something that bridges, that it closes that distance. Here's, here's Jonah. Jonah's not only feeling all alone in the fish. Jonah has been running the opposite way from the Lord. He has been full bore going the exact opposite, as far away as I can get from God and what he wants me to do and what he's saying. That's where I'm headed. And what's funny to me is as fast as he's running the other way, God is pursuing him every step of the way. God's right behind him. So that when he turns around, in this case, in the, in the bottom of a fish, God's right there. Closes the gap. God, God's always right there. We think so highly of ourselves. We, we call ourselves seekers. I'm, I'm seeking God. No, 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 no. We're not seekers. We're runners. We're running from God. I know you and I know me. We, even we who are believers, even we who say that we're followers of Jesus, we spend a lot of time running from God, from what his message is and what his will is and what we wrestle with. And when it gets tough and when he starts telling us to go to Nineveh and we'd rather go to Tarsus and we don't want to go, we don't want to do what he's saying. And how, we, we go the other way. We run. Isn't it amazing how when how we want to get so far away from him during times like that. When he starts dealing with our inner character, when he starts dealing with our lifestyle, when he starts dealing with how we look at things and what our attitude is and the words that we use, we leave me alone, God. I want to handle this on my own. But when we need him, we want him to close the gap quickly. Quickly, God, close the gap. I need you. And here's the amazing thing to me. He's there. He's there. David in, in Psalm 139 has a beautiful statement of, of God's presence. Um, I'm up on the screen, verse um, 7 through 10 in Psalm 139, David asks the question, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you're there. 
If I get on the wings and fly to the next slide. If I take the wings of the dawn, and if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, right where old Jonah was hanging out, even there your hand will lead me, and your right hand will lay hold of me. Prayer is recognizing his presence is right there. It draws closer. Second thing that, that Jonah does, we would never know that Jonah had this prayer if he didn't write it down somewhere. It's not like he's doing a little journal of, okay, I prayed this prayer. It's, it's, he's looking back now, and he's remembering. And when he says, I cried out in distress, and I cried out for help, I don't know if that was like the first two and a half days or whatever. I imagine there was a lot of crying out in distress and a lot of crying out for help. But then he, as he just kind of lists what he was going through and what he's feeling, it sounds like a psalm which I love the Psalms because it's this intimate time of people crying out to God and God doing something in our lives, working in our lives. And, and, and it's like, I, I've been there. I, I'm not alone. And it's not only connecting with God, but it's sharing with others what's, what's going on in our life. And there's this for others part of the fish story. If you'll jot down things while you're in the middle of the fish, make a journal and remember that and share with others. That's what your small group is all about. Take some time with your class or your small group and to say, hey, I've been through there. I know what it's like to lose control. I know what it's like when your spouse leaves. I know what it's like when they say you're fired. I know what it's like when the doctor's report comes in. I know what it's like when you hear that your kid has made some wrong choices and wrong decisions. I know what it's like. I know I've been there. See, we're so used to sharing the good stuff. We do, we do Facebook or social media, and it's all the good stuff. It's parades of selfies. Here's me and the pleasureful, you know, and conquest and victor, and here I am, you know, we're going through Hawaii, and here, here all these. And you think, you think everybody's got life going on good, and nobody else has my problems, and we never do little selfies of the belly of a fish. But we need to know that we're through there together, and God can handle that. It's sometimes just pouring out our life to him. Third thing that starts to happen in this prayer is that there's a transference of his burden. Jonah can't do anything about his life. He can't control his life. It's out of control. But he can, he can turn it over to God. I don't know what else to do. There's nothing. I, I cannot save myself but I'm going to turn it over to you. And later on in that chapter, he finds out that the Lord is our salvation. He is our deliverer. But I need to turn it over to you. Most of us aren't good prayers. We're better complainers. We just lay it all out, throw it all up, and then bring it all back and carry it with us again. We never transfer our burden. We just complain to God about our problem. Get me out of this fish. Get me out of this fish. This fish stinks. It stinks. It stinks stinks of being this fish i can't breathe help me help me check in with you tomorrow same message and prayer is this transferring it's delivering it's it's giving him the burden and as you throw that on him then then jonah is able to start having this heart change that starts to go on so that no longer is he running from God, he's running to God, he's seeking God, the presence of God, he's dwelling in the holy presence of God, and, and he starts to call him Lord. And he starts to, to recognize that this prayer is gonna change him. It's not gonna change God. It's gonna change him. And there's a, this fish moment 
is, is, a, is a stake in his life that he changes and turns. He's no longer the same. If you spend, if you spend some time in the belly of the fish and you come out of the belly of the fish and you're the same person, you wasted the experience. In the belly of the fish is where you you change like you're never going to change. Where God works on the inside of you. Where he, he molds you and develops you into who he wants you to be. So instead of a running prophet, you come out with an obedient prophet who says, I'll tell you when I surrendered. <laughs> Day two in the, bellies, the belly of the fish. That's when I surrendered. And then he just basks in the presence. How, how much longer... He did, I don't know, when he did all that work, but after it was all done, while still in the, in the fish, he's just enjoying the presence of God. He's recognizing the presence of God. I want you to hear this for a moment. Your greatest fear is not what you think it is. What you fear most is not what you should fear most. What you should fear most is being separated from the presence of God. The presence of God makes all the difference. The situation you're in, you may not be able to fix it. They may not be able to fix it. It may not get better. You may not piece it all together and it's all hunky-dory and good. You may live with the ramifications of some of that for the rest of your life. But with the presence of God, you can get through it. And he'll take you on the other side of it. And there'll be a day you look back on it. And you discover that in prayer. His presence is the most important thing in all that. In Hebrews, the fourth chapter, the writer says this, Uh, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But that in, in, in everything, he was tempted like we are, but without sin. So that we might with confidence, with confidence, draw nigh draw near unto the throne of grace where we might receive mercy and grace and help in our time of need. That's what the presence of God does. That's Jesus. If you're in the belly of a fish, you need mercy and grace and help in a time of need. Verse 8 closes that chapter off in that second chapter of Jonah. And it will be on the screen here. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah up into dry land. 
His heart changed. He said, I'm no longer an idol worshiper. I'm sacrificing. I'm giving. I'm living. I just, I, I recognize this. Salvation is from the Lord. If he wants to save the Ninevites, he can save them. If he wants to save the, the sailors on the boat, he can save them. All I ask, God, will you save me? I'm in this fish. Will you save me? I recognize you're my salvation. And God says, bingo, it's, it's working. I've done in you what I need to have done. And he delivers him. Now, I, I don't know about you, but being vomited up by a fish doesn't feel like deliverance, except for dry land sounds a whole lot better than the belly. <laughs> I, I wonder, what does it take for God to take you from being an idolater to a worshiper who sacrifices, who thanks, and who pays his vows? You can read about it in Scripture and learn from it in Scripture. I suggest that. Much more comfortable than being in the belly of a fish. But if it takes the belly of a fish to get across to you what God wants to get across, he's been known to do that. I'd like you to bow your heads. The worship team's going to come. We're going to sing a song. I want to just close with, with this one, one thought. When, when he prays, in my distress, you heard me. When I cried out for help, you were there. I, I cried, I prayed, you were there. Um, I, I'm, I'm certain, I don't know your life, I don't know what you're going through, I'm certain there are some of you here that, that to an extent of some kind, you're in that distress. You're in a point of distress. It's something that is overwhelming you. It's hard to control. It's, it's, it's distressing you. And I just want you to know that you can cry out to him and he'll hear it. He'll answer your prayer. And I, I just, I don't know if you, it's going to happen in a day or two days or three days or whatever. I don't know how long you're going to be in a situation you're going to be in. I just know this, he's faithful. And he'll deliver you out of it. We'll get you through it. So here's what I'd like you to do. If you would, if you feel comfortable, if you take your hands with the palms facing the ground and just put them out in front of you, um, just bunch up your, your fists, like close your fists like you're grasping something. And in your hands are, are those things. It's your stress. It's your, it's your distress. It's your, it's your pain. It's your crisis. It's the belly of the fish that you're dealing with. And what I'd love for you to do today is just to transfer that over to God. That you would just let go of it and give it to God so you don't carry it home with you. So as you feel comfortable, if you would just, if you just open your, your hands up and let, let your palms release what it is that has got you tied up in bondage, just give it to God. And then take your palms and turn them over where they're, the palms are up toward heaven. And if you'd receive from God what he has to give you. Receive his deliverance. Receive his salvation. Receive his hope. Receive a change of heart. 
that you will now have ears for his message, for his word, for his will, for his mission. What you have me to do, God, I'll do. Take me from the fish, put me on dry land, and use me to do your will. In Jesus' name.